So you've got a little handout uh, there, and we're going to be talking about something. You know, in our, there used to be a thing when I was uh, a kid. I never experienced it, but they would call it the talk. Right, and the talk was when your parents uh, talked to you, uh, you know, your dads usually would sh- talk with sons, and moms would talk with their daughters, and they would talk about the birds and the bees and, you know, sexual things and stuff like that. But, but uh, in our culture, because the family has become so busted up and because the whole sexual issues and all this kind of stuff has become so crazy, so intense... A lot of us have never had the talk. And as we figured it out on our own and we, uh, we, we, we've heard from people at school and that kind of stuff, but we never had any, somebody like a father, a concerned person, adult, you know, ever kind of set this whole sexual thing in any kind of a context. So what I wanted to do this morning was listen in on a talk. And the talk we're going to be listening in on is Solomon's talk to his son, where he explains to him and tries to put the whole sexual thing in some kind of a context for his son, right? So, so if you're like me, you didn't have this with your dad um, uh, and, uh, or with your mom, and, uh, and you put, tried to put things together as best you could, But here we have a chance to see the guy who was known as, you know, Mr. Wisdom share with his children, his sons, and and put this whole sexual thing in context. So that's where we are. And I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Turn in there. It it just happens in the notes that I've given you. There isn't uh, the the references are there, but not the scriptures themselves. So Proverbs chapter 5, if you need to use your phone, do that. But be disciplined not to be jumping around and emailing and all that kind of stuff. But Proverbs chapter 5, and we're going to basically get the talk, okay, right now. Um, and uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. Now, in the talk, now you remember we're, of course, listening to another time period, another context, and that kind of thing, that, but the principles are all the same. But in the talk, the, um, Solomon uses the adulteress as the image of whacked out sexual stuff. Now, he doesn't do that because women are the source of sexual temptation and create all the sexual problems. That's not, he's, 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 using, he's using biblically the image. He's using an image. He's using a picture because it helps people to get a hold of ideas. And this is something you see you done all throughout the Bible. So it's not that he, any more than when he says, when he personifies wisdom as a woman, he's saying all wisdom comes from women. Maybe you thought that, but that's not the case. Okay? And, uh, uh, and, and in the same way, when he uses the adulteress as a picture, as an image, he's not saying all sexual problems come from you know, women. That's why th- these things are there. But he uses that as an image to, to say something. So he's, when he's talking about the adulteress, he's really talking about the magazine cover. He's talking about the romance novel. He's talking about the YouTube porn. He's talking about the attraction to the new neighbor. He's talking about an explicit movie. He's he's talking about Instagram. He's talking about 
the Facebook chat with the old lover from high school. He's, he's talking about all these different things, and he's summing it all up, and he calls it the adulteress, the, the, tempt, the temptress that is coming to you. And, uh, and so that's the picture we're going to be starting out with. And we look in uh, your notes, number one, it says, sexual temptation promises more than it delivers. This is what it says. My son, now, now remember, here, here's, here's, here's Solomon speaking to his son now. My son, give attention, we're in verse one, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. So what's he saying here? He's saying, look, he says, that when we look at these these temptations here, these sexual temptations. When we look, he's, he's trying to put the whole sexual experience in a, in a context here. He says, when we look at this, he says, you've got to get a hold of something here. And that is that it's very easy for sexual things to be presented in an elusive way, in, a, in an illusionary, illusionary way, so that they actually, it actually promises much more than it delivers. And so he says, he says, man, he says, it's like the lips of an adulteress drip honey. He says, sweet. Oh, it's so sweet. Smoother than oil. He says, it's, it's, it's so soothing. This whole sexual thing is right there. And then he says, but in the end, he says, this is what it promises. It promises soothing and sweetness. But in the end, he says, it's bitter as wormwood and it's sharp as a two-edged sword, meaning it will cut you. This thing will, you, not, you won't be able to use this thing without it cutting you and hurting you in some kind of way. Her feet go down to depth. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. So this is another thing that we see in this whole sexual temptation arena. When you tumble into sexual temptation, usually people, they don't, you don't ponder the path of life. It's, it's, this illusion is there. Oh, man, here's my chance. Here it is. It's sweet as honey. Here it is. It's, it's soothing as oil. Here it is. It's, this is a, he says she does not ponder the path of life. There's no wisdom in this temptation. And he says, her ways are unstable, and she does, does not know it. And that is that the sexual temptation creates a blind spot. He says, her ways are unstable. When I'm, when I'm sucked into a sexual temptation, my ways are unstable, but I don't even know it. This seems okay. It seems good. It seems like it'll work out, you know. But Solomon is trying to speak to his son and say, look, I'm trying to give you some context here. There's no wisdom on this path. And the path always promises more than it delivers. In the end, it's bitter as wormwood and will cut you like a two-edged sword. It's an illusion, like the airbrush altered image 
in, in pornography so that there is no woman that can really look like this woman because she's been altered, actually. And, and there's, there's the, the, the romance novel plot line with this incredible guy. And the fact is, there just is no guy that incredible. They're mostly froggy, you know, and, and that need a princess to give them a little kiss. They, they don't really... You know, they, they, and, and, but, we, but there's this promise. Oh, man, we've got, woo, this, there's a reward here. This is sweet. This is oil. This is beautiful. Don't ponder. Don't think about your situation. You're feeling unstable. Don't, don't, you, you, it's a blind spot to you. It's good. You're not really unstable. You're actually stable. Everything is going to be good. It's all going to come together. It promises so much more than it delivers, and it's a huge illusion. I read a, a story about a uh, school in Oregon where a, um, uh, the, it was a junior high and the <clears throat> girls were going into the girls' room and, at the school and, and they, were, they were putting on makeup and stuff. And then the last kind of thing they would do after they put on the makeup is uh, they would they'd put their lipstick on, they would kiss the mirror. It's kind of leaving a little little sexy note there on the mirror, you know, kind of a woohoo, you know, so they would kiss the mirror. And, uh, and, and this was turning into a huge aggravation for the janitor, right? Because now the janitor had to clean every single day. He had to clean all the mirrors in the girls' rooms because of these little kisses that were, that were planted around the, the girls' room. So the, um, the, uh, the, the principal decided he needed to do something, so he called a special uh, gathering, got a bunch of the girls into the, into the uh, girls' room with the janitor there, and he said, now, now listen, he says, this, is, this thing, of this little thing that's trend that started here, kissing the mirror, this is creating a huge problem for us, and uh, they're having to clean these mirrors every day and stuff like that, and I just wanted you to see how hard it is for the janitor to do this. And so, uh, so he turned to the janitor and he said, would you just clean the mirrors for the ladies so they can see what's happening? And so the janitor has a long stick with a brush on the end of it. He goes over to the toilet, dips it in the toilet, comes over to the mirror and rubs the mirror, cleans the mirror off, right? That was the end of the kissing of the mirrors, you know what I mean? The kissing of the mirror just stopped that day, right? Okay, now, what, what, what was this, what, what was happening here, right? Here was this cute, oh, this cute little sexy thing. You know, but you kiss the mirror and you suddenly realize I'm kissing the toilet, right? Right? It just, uh, I kissed the toilet right there. That's what happened, see? And uh, this is the illusion that the sexual stuff does for you, right? It gives you this impression like, oh, isn't this kind of cool? Isn't this kind of, this is, this, you know, I enter into this thing. Oh, I'm getting a little bit out there on the edge. It's, you know, I'm just going to kiss the mirror. No little problem here. Just kiss the mirror. It'll be so cute, you know. Uh-huh. Boom, you're kissing the toilet. Okay, so... This is the way this stuff works. I'm speaking to you like Solomon here today, right? I'm talking to you like you're my son or you're my daughter. And and this this is the picture here. Okay, number two in Solomon's statement to his son, he says, sexual sin always costs you something. Proverbs chapter five, starting with verse seven. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth Keep your way far from her, sexual temptation he's talking about, and do not go near the door of her house. He's saying sexual temptation, he says don't go, he's actually teaching a principle that we see repeated over and over again when it comes to sexual temptation. 
it's a, it's a very important principle because many times people think that the way you handle sexual temptation is by uh, becoming disciplined and becoming strong, and you're going to be able to resist this temptation because, you know, you memorize so many Bible verses or whatever, and you're going to be able to do battle with this thing. But there's a principle that the Bible teaches, actually, in relationship to this, that, that he, he says, do not go near the door of her house. And uh, if you look in your notes, it's, it's the flee principle. Flee, F-L-E-E, principle. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And then in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. He says, there are some things, you know, it's a, like, he, like he talked about, he says there's a blind spot here. We think we can handle this, but the truth is we cannot handle it. And, 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 and so he says there is a solution here. You have got to run. He says you don't try and battle it. You don't try to wrestle. If you find yourself in that situation, if you're near the door of that sexual temptation, if you're anywhere, he says get away from that situation, flee from that situation, run from that situation. Uh, because it just, it, it will get you. You think, well, it won't get me. It will get you, you know. Uh, <clears throat> Have any of you ever tried to put the, the seal coating on a driveway? You ever tried to do that? Anybody ever? Okay, well, when you, someday you'll get a house and stuff. You have to, at least you'll think one year that you're going to try and do this. And so, you know, when we got our, first time we got a house, we were poor as church mice. And so we, any little project that had to be done, I, I tried to figure it out myself. So, so my wife said, you know, we need to seal the driveway, blah, blah, blah. Okay, 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 okay. So I went and bought the stuff to seal the driveway. And I'm thinking to myself, I, you know, I talked to the guy at the place. You know, you pour the stuff down and you squeeze it out over the driveway. And, you know, that's it. You, see, you seal the thing up. I said, I got no problem. I can do that. And, uh, and so I get the goop, and I start sealing up. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed people who do seal driveways. They always have clothes and shoes that they only wear for the sealing of driveways. If you look at them, their shoes are covered with crut. Their clothes are covered with crut, right, everything. But I'm saying to myself, no, I can do this, right? What's the problem? I will just go out there. And I will seal the driveway, and I don't have to get this stuff on my shoes. I mean, I, the stuff is over there. I hit it with the thing, and, you know, I just keep walking back and pouring the stuff down there. Well, by the time the morning's over, me trying to seal the driveway, I, am, I look like tar man. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I have tar splattered all over me right there. See, I had a blind spot. I thought I knew better. I thought, oh, I can do this. It's no problem. I can handle it. I can put this tar down. It won't get on me. It won't, it won't affect me like I see it affecting some other people. It's not like I do this for a living. I'm only doing it one time. It's not going to be a big deal. And so I, I, I step out there to do it. And what happens to me? I get totally messed up. And, and that's what he's saying here. He says, look, this stuff messes you up. And he says, if you get near it, he says, it's the kind of thing you don't try to work your way through. You don't think to yourself, oh, I'll get the right tools or think my way through it. You're going to end up dirty. And you have got to, you have got to just decide that's, that job is not for me in the case of which I've never done it again, incidentally. Um, I've hired people to do it. That job is not for me because I, I just got all messed up doing that. Okay. 
In your notes, the cost of sexual sin. The cost of sexual sin. Number one, you lose your vigor. Proverbs 5.9 says, or you, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Um, now, what do, you, what do I mean by lose your vigor? You know, the, the big way I've seen people lose their vigor, and, I, and I, I'm not just talking here about disease, STDs, or this kind of thing. But the big place I see it is that people's faith becomes compromised. You know, so here you are. And, uh, you know, you're in Bible school, you're being challenged to change the world, you're being challenged to go on a mission trip, you're being challenged to go witness and reach out to people and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know, it seems like, you know, well, okay, this is, you know, th- this is tremendous. But to do any of those things takes courage and takes faith, right? And you want to rob courage and rob faith? You know, if you spend last night staring at pornography... And you think you're going to get up in the morning and be courageous. It just doesn't work that way. You get up in the morning, you feel like an idiot. What did I do? What was wrong with me? You're filled with regret. How did I let myself go down that path again? I didn't think I would be there. What's happened to me? What's going on? And that's exactly what happens to people. You lose your vigor. That is, what do you lose? You lose your courage. You lose that thing of faith inside of you that says, I can dare anything. I can try anything. Because you think to yourself, how could God possibly be with me if I've fallen in this area and fallen in that area? And so you lose heart in the middle of your situation. It's one of the costs of sexual sin. Another one of the costs we see is you lose your money, Proverbs 5.10. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you think to yourself, well, how does that happen? I mean, in our culture today, it happens all the time. The, the tremendous cost, I think, of marriages that were broken up and divorces that occurred and the tremendous cost that's there. I think of illicit relationships that happen where people are paying, you know, I, I, I just wrote down a couple of them quickly that Reverend Jesse Jackson pays 3000 a month in child support because of an affair he had. Uh, P. Diddy plays $35,000 a month. Jim Carrey spends $10,000 a month, all in child support for these children that they brought into the world that don't have their father near them, don't have any connections or links or any of that kind of stuff. So you lose your money. Number three, you lose your health. Proverbs 5.11 says, and you groan at your final end when your flesh and body are consumed. Solomon, this is so many thousand, you know, how many years ago is this? And yet we're hearing this wisdom speak to us across the ages. He says, look, you're going to lose your health. If you don't think this is real, type STD and life expectancy into Google and just start reading. And you will see that people's life expectancy gets knocked down because they open this area up and they give themselves over. Number four, you lose your self-respect. You're filled with regrets. Proverbs 5, 12, and 13, look what he says. And you say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ears to my instructors. I was reading a health magazine, uh, Men's Health, and a guy named Richard was telling his story. He says, cheating was the worst mistake I ever made in my life. 
I don't know that we wouldn't have gotten a divorce, but I, re- but I felt really bad that I cheated on my wife. I didn't want a divorce. I didn't even want to be with that woman. It was just that she was telling me what I wanted to hear. It all felt fine until right after it happened. Then I just felt terrible. You lose your self-respect. You lose the respect of your community, he tells him. This is a father speaking to a son, a future ruler. He says to him in, in Proverbs, he says, I was almost in utter ruin, Proverbs 5.14, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. It's been some of the saddest things that I've been involved in as a Christian leader have been trying to help uh, pastors that have gotten themselves caught in situations. I think of one pastor that was using the church's computer to look at pornography, and then it all came out. You know, somebody was looking and found things, and, and it all came out. And here, you know, here he was a respected leader in the church, and he was wiped out in a moment because of that. Uh, uh, I think of pastors who left their wives for someone else in the church, and again, their whole world was turned upside down. Their own children were wiped out and, and, and you know, hurt so terribly. And, and uh, this thing happens. It happens everywhere. You know, even presidents, you know, I think of, of uh, Bill Clinton, uh, when, when he was in the White House, went after a 20-year-old intern. And, um, uh, you know, I just think, what, you know, what I would have felt like if I was the father of that girl and, and she had gotten caught in that kind of, situation in those in that place of power uh, don't ever believe the lie that there's no cost to sexual sin so the father sets the context of some of the problems and some of the difficulties and then he he wants to kind of say well okay so where what how is it supposed to work what's what's supposed to happen here dad and we find ourselves here in this in this notes and, and number three in your notes it says this married love rocks This is what it says. Because of the cost of sexual sin, there is a right way to handle this gift of sex. And in your notes, it says how to get the most out of a sexual relationship. Here's number one. I'm just giving it to you the way Solomon gave it to us. He says, number one, keep your sex in marriage. He said, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. He always images, always pictures, right? Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should you, look what he says. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? So what's, what's he doing? He's comparing the drinking of your, out of your own cistern to drinking out of an open sewer on the streets. And he's, he's saying, look, drink your own, don't, don't get caught, don't drink out of that sewer. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. So it's a, it's a powerful image that he creates there. There's a quotation here um, that I think is so good, I put it right into your notes. Let me just read it with you there. It says this, but, but God also created a boundary for the enjoyment of sexuality, and that boundary is the covenant of marriage. You see, when you're intimate with another person, you become especially vulnerable to that person. So God created the safest possible relationship in order to protect us from being hurt deeply. God created a covenant relationship, a relationship of mutual trust and mutual commitment, a relationship that entered, that's entered into with vows. 
God knows that sexual wounds are among the deepest and most profound wounds that can be inflicted on a person. Just ask someone who was molested as a child or exploited by another person. So God created a special kind of relationship to provide a safe context for sexual expression. Not that we won't get hurt in marriage, because we surely will, since we live in a fallen and sinful creation. All of us are sexually broken to some extent or another. But marriage provides the safest context for us to enjoy our sexuality. So, you know, he, he, he goes on and he, he basically, he's just making the point, sex is awesome, he's saying, if it's like fire in the fireplace. Fire is awesome, but if the fire burns the house down, it's no good. He says, he says, sex is awesome, but you have to have it in the fireplace. Now, just for clarity's sake, I put down just a few expressions here, sexual expressions outside the covenant of marriage. I, I did this because when I first, you know, I got saved when I was 17 years old, and I hadn't been brought up in the church or anything like that, so I didn't have, I didn't, you know, I just started reading the Bible. When I read the word fornication, I had no idea what it meant. As a matter of fact, as a new Christian, I was still exploring sexual things and doing crazy stuff and, 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 and as a 17-year-old. And in that context, you know, I'm reading this stuff and saying, do not fornicate. Oh, I'm never going to do that. You know, what is that? I have no idea what that is, right? And, uh, and, 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 and so I just wanted to just kind of lay it out for you here. It says premarital sex. The Bible teaches that premarital sexual expression is wrong and destructive in our lives. The Bible uses the word fornication to describe premarital sex. And it says it's, not, it's just not supposed to be a part of what we're doing. Extramarital sex. It teaches that all extramarital sexual expression is wrong and destructive in our lives. The Bible uses the word adultery to describe extramarital sex. And then same-sex expression. The Bible also teaches that all same-sex sexual expression is wrong and destructive. The Bible uses the word homosexuality to describe same-sex activity. Okay, let's keep going with more of Solomon's thoughts here. We're going to end off our time here in just a few minutes. Number two, good sex in marriage is a decision. So he gives some advice to us who are married here. He says, this is what he says, Proverbs 5, 18, 19. He says this, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. He's saying, look, you need to make a decision, right? You can, you can live a life that's constantly looking somewhere else, constantly looking for the, the grass that's greener, constantly uh, pr pursuing in that kind of way. He says, look, that's not the kind of life I, he says, he says your, your sexual relationship is going to get messed up if you do that. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind with a, and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. He's saying, man, this is awesome. This is a great gift that's been given to us. This is a beautiful expression, this sexual expression. When it's, when it's fire in the fireplace, when it's, it, when it's in its right position, it can be so powerful. But he's also making the point to us that you have to decide to keep the fires burning in marriage. Now, you know, a lot of us, when we're younger, we don't think that. We think, you know, oh, we're going to get married we get married, and we're so filled with passion right now. We just think to ourselves, we're just going to be, it's going to be one passionate day after another, glory, glory, all the way to the end, right? 
But I'm telling you right now, listen, I've been down the road a little further than you right now, okay? So it, you, anything, any relationship, anything that has any value in life, you have got to work at it. And it takes effort, it takes commitment, it takes, you know, with each new season, my wife and, and our lives go, we become different people, right? You're, you're who you are right now, but 10 years from now, you're going to be a different person. You're going to have all kinds of new experiences, new things that will be going on. And as each new season comes, we have to discover each other again for that season. It's a commitment. It's a, that's why marriage is based on a vow. It's based on a promise, right? Feelings come and go. Even sexual desire comes and goes. But the promise never stops. The promise is what holds us together. The promise is what enables us to endure. The promise is what keeps us, right? So we need to stand with that um, that promise. And then he goes on and he says, uh, number three, sex outside of marriage has nothing special to offer. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? With all that you know about the cost, why would you do that? That's what he's saying to his son. And then number four, sexual secrets don't exist. This is what he says. Number one, God knows your sexual secrets. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. Proverbs 5, 21. This is all just in this one passage. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. He's telling you, you never fooled God. You know, you snuck downstairs and found that stash of porno magazines, and you thought, you thought, wow, this is like a secret thing. Nobody knows what's happening here. God was with you right there in the middle of that situation. You've hidden the credit card bill that showed you went out with that woman or made that connection or went out with that guy, whatever it is. Uh, you think your spouse doesn't know, but God knows. He, there are no sexual secrets. That's what your father is trying to say to you right now. And then he's saying, number two, all sexual folly leads to bondage. Look, Proverbs 5.22. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Do you feel bound when you give yourself over to sexual temptation? Your father is speaking to you here right now, and he's saying that's exactly what is going to happen to you. This thing is a trap. This thing is a snare. It's, this thing is supposed to be a pretty kiss on a mirror, but it's actually kissing a toilet. It's, it's, it, it, when you go down this path of sexual temptation, you, you are living in illusion. You're walking in a blind spot, and you're setting yourself up for a destructive situation. And then, and then Solomon goes on. He says, number three, all sexual folly leads you away from God. And he will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. I've heard a guy, a, 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 guy, a pastor one time come to me and say to me that uh, through prayer, he felt the Lord had led him to another woman. And, uh, you know, here he was a married man with children, and he walked away from his wife and walked away, and he, he tried to baptize his sin by saying, the Lord told me. I'm telling you right now, if the Lord is telling you something different from what I'm talking about here today, 
and the destruction that came into his family and the destruction, his children, where they were spun off in so many different ways and hurt and, and all this stuff that happened. It's, a, it's an incredibly destructive issue. Okay. So, maybe you have been under a strong delusion yourself. Maybe you have been living in the blind spot of a sexual temptation. Maybe you have somehow thought, well, this, I can't really tackle this, or I can't really, listen, I'm telling you, you can tackle this. Is it a fight? Absolutely. Is it a battle? Absolutely. Is it something you're going to struggle and fail and struggle? Yes, you will. But there is a place of progress. There is a place of forward movement. There's a place of safety where you can raise your children in safety, where you can love your wife or your husband and, and give yourself in an absolute secure relationship. It is totally possible, but you have got to commit to the fight. I'm not saying you've got to commit to perfection. I'm not asking anybody here to be perfect. And if you're like me, by the time I gave my life to Christ, I'd already screwed so many things up. It was, uh, you know. And after, even after I gave myself to the Lord, that beginning, like I was telling you, I didn't even know what the Bible taught about any of this stuff. And, and I was reading the word fornication, had no clue even what it meant. But the reality is today that you can, as I had to make the decision, enter the battle and say, I will fight this. I will not allow myself to believe this lie. This, I will not allow myself to, to be caught up in this illusion. It's like honey and oil. I will not, I'm going to resist this thing and stand against this thing. I want you just to bow your heads and your hearts right now. And if you, this is for everybody right now. You may be here, married couples. You, got, you, you have to do this just like everybody else has to do this. It's not like you, you know, that's the, one of the crazy lies people get. Oh, you just get married and, and sexual temptation goes away. Listen, you can be just as sexually tempted when you're married. If you haven't, you've got to learn how to fight the fight. You might as well start learning it while you're a single. Why wait till you're married and so much is at risk? Fight the fight right now. Learn the battle right now. So if you're here right now and you just want to say to the Lord, Lord, uh, you know all my imperfections. You, you know all my failures. You know all the craziness that's touched my life in this area. Some of it I brought on myself. Some of it was perpetrated on me. But Lord, I need your healing. And I need, Lord, I want to set my heart with you to walk in purity in this area of my life. I want to reject the adulteress who's tempting me, who's going after me. I see her for who she is. It's kissing the toilet, Lord. I see it. I see it for what it is. I see that there is a beautiful gift of sexual relationship for me, and I want it, Lord. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess my children's lives up. I don't want to, I, I don't want to be poured out drinking from a sewer rather than from my own cistern. Now, if you're willing to enter that battle, I want you to just lift both of your hands to the Lord right now. As you're lifting your hands, all you're doing is surrendering right now, and you're saying, I am going to fight. I am going to fight. 
I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to give myself over to this thing. I'm going to do battle. When I fall through your grace, Lord, I will rise again. When I stumble, Lord, I will lift my head again and call upon your name, and I will rise again, Lord, until you build in me that fortress, that place of strength, that thing that keeps me from being trapped in this stuff, Lord, until you build in me. And Lord, I would just ask today, even though Solomon was speaking to, to us today across thousands of years, I just would ask today, because so many of us never had that daddy talk. We never had that. And, and Lord, I just ask you right now that the power of those words would go into us with the same strength as if our own parents had been able to share with us these words at a time when we needed them, Lord. Let it go deep into us now. We thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.